Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to Mind Shifters Radio with the Forgiveness Doctor, Dr. Michael Rice. I'm Jeannie Rice, your co-host. We also have co-hosts Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet. We will share with you the wisdom of the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We offer tools and support five days a week. We will support you in building a solid foundation within yourself to live in pure love in Aramaic, Brachma. Michael is the author of the book, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? For more information about the forgiveness process, please visit www.whyagain.org. And now, welcome to the show, Mind Shifters Radio. Hello and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Friday, June 16th, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered. These tools are available absolutely free through the tireless efforts of Dr. Michael and Jeannie Rice on the website at whyagain.org. If you go to that website and click on the two words that say start here in the upper left-hand corner, it will take you to a page where you can download and read Chapter 24 of Dr. Michael Rice's book. His book is titled, Why Is This Happening to Me Again?, And that chapter of that book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. That tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using for over 18 years to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again, absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words, Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness, And if you choose to do that before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app that contains the Reality Management Worksheet, also contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process, and it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game, which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. And we hope people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they actively apply these tools in their lives. And secondarily, because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials. And if you have any of those to share with us, please do. Give us a call at 563-999-3581 and press 1 on your phone. Or... Send us an email. You can email me at tjh 
at mindshifters-academy.org. And you can email Jeannie at J-E-A-N-I-E at whyagain.org. That's W-H-Y-A-G-A-I-N dot O-R-G. If we get those comments or questions or testimonials from you, we will address them in the show. And then, as time allows, send you a notification about what day and time we did that so you can listen back to the archives for the input. And again, we appreciate when people do that because it makes it far easier for us to live into our intention with this work. The intention we have with this work is to be of service, and that's just a lot easier to do when we know what's what's working well for you and what isn't. So, if nobody raises a hand today, I'm going to work back into the The book we were reading, titled A Walk in the Physical, by Christian Sunderberg. And I'm going to read or reread the essay number 109. And 109 is titled, Your Thoughts Are Powerful. And the essay reads, Every thought has an effect, both in our local reality system and in others. You may not see the effect of your thoughts with your physical eyes, but in fact, every thought echoes throughout all of space. Reality is affected by each and every intent that you hold. For instance, what are you intending and thinking right now? Because this is happening throughout all the earth. It's affecting whatever vibrations in other parts of the world might be occurring. How can this be? It can be because consciousness is the fundamental fabric of reality. Since all consciousness is connected to all other consciousness, whenever consciousness moves, all of reality is affected. Now, if I think about that, and I want to give this some kind of viability or credibility in my conscious logical mind. Instantly I think, well, how hopeless can this be, especially if I think every thought of any flavor or variety has equal weight. But the great teachings tell us that my thoughts don't have equal weight, that those that are loving and creative and expansive carry far more weight and impact than those thoughts that are negative. Now, I've actually been to a number of different seminars on mind-body energy healing, for example, where people will do demonstrations and, and these are rather crude demonstrations, but they have convinced a lot of people. And I believe that we have scientists who are working on devices which will measure these energy fields with higher and higher sensitivity. But the essence of the demonstrations is they'll have somebody stand at a point, and then they'll have somebody stand you know, 
60 or 100 feet away from them, and they'll put a divining rod of sorts in their hands. It can be a bent hanger. It can be two pieces of bent hanger, one in each hand. I've seen it done a number of different ways. And then they ask the person who is at going to be approached, they ask that person to think angry thoughts, sad, hurt, angry thoughts. And they don't let the other person who's walking towards them know what that person's thinking or doing, and the person walks towards them, and they mark the point at which the divining rods turn or move in one way or another. And they mark that spot on the floor. And then they have that person back up, and they give different instructions to the person silently, privately, to the person who's going to be approached, and they tell them, I think the most happy, loving thoughts will give you a minute to shift your energy and breathe and soften, and now think the strongest, loving, happy thoughts you can, and then from you know, 60 or 100 feet away, whatever the marking was, the person starts moving toward them again, and they mark on the floor the point at which the divining rods move and change. Now, the person holding the divining rods doesn't know what the difference is, but the spots on the floor get marked differently. And this is a demonstration that the loving energy, the positive creative energy, the compassionate gratitude energy radiates out of us far more strongly and goes farther away from us than our angry, hurt, sad, scared, frustrated energy. And there are ancient teachings that say if even one person is focused on love, is able to undo their blockages to seeing their true nature, it's more powerful than a million people holding contraction or anger or whatever. So when I read something like this, the way my conscious logical mind can make some sense of it is to say, okay, every thought affects every other thought, but they don't all affect with the same power and the same resilience and the same distance of vibration. And your powerful, your choices for love, your choices for gratitude, your choices for compassion radiate out more strongly than your angry, sad, scared, hurt, frustrated thoughts, shameful thoughts. So, number 109 reads, Consciousness is the fundamental fabric of reality, and since all consciousness is connected to all other consciousness, whenever consciousness moves, all of reality is affected. However, because we are largely not aware of this, we're, quote, messy, close quotes, with our thoughts because of the beliefs we have collectively enshrined and perpetuated, we often don't know our own importance or our own power. This is an invitation to remember. Remember that what is occurring within you is important. Your thoughts, your beliefs, your expectations, your intentions are important. Your personal experience is important. You, as a spark of the divine mind and consciousness, are important. 
the thoughts that arrive into your awareness started with you at some point. You receive sensory data and decide how to process it. After doing this for a lifetime, your beliefs and interpretations can be so firmly set that they seem like properties of reality itself. The beliefs and interpretations that you've bought into feed the nature of the thoughts that arrive. Your primary power is your intent. Your point of power is this moment, the now moment. Using your intent in this current moment, you always have the ability to reframe your experience. This changes the world. Using your intent in the current moment, you always have the power to alter the momentum of your thoughts. You are not powerless before them. Rather, they are expressions of your power. Those thoughts arrive to serve you, just as you've requested. Modifying your relationship with your thoughts also changes the world. Now, in the support group last night, this puts me to mind of what we did in the support group. We listened to a talk by Guy Finley that anybody can access. It's available free. It's the Wednesday night talk from this week. Go to guyfinley.org slash channel. All you have to do is give them a name and an email address, and they'll let you have access to that series of talks he's been doing since coronavirus restrictions hit absolutely free. And in this talk... He did some preamble, and then he launched into discussing how the story of A Christmas Carol by Dickens talks about some of these very concepts that are in this essay, 109. And in that story, a miserly person, Scrooge, is visited in the middle of the night by three ghosts the ghosts of Christmas past Christmas present and Christmas future and he has these experiences and he travels out of body and he sees these images and he sees events that cover several days and yet when he's returned to his bed almost no time has elapsed in the present moment, without lapsing time, without taking a long time to get there, each and every one of us can choose to change the focus of our conscious awareness in the moment. And that is the only time we can choose to change the focus of our conscious awareness. I can't change what I was focusing on in the past, even a minute ago. I can't do something now that's going to control how I think in five minutes or five days. And yet in this moment, I can choose again. In this moment, I can choose a focus for my mind energy. I can choose thoughts to pour my mind energy into, the focus of my conscious awareness into, and change the world. 
change my experience of life and the world in that moment. And it doesn't take days to do that. It may take weeks and months to establish a pattern to undo the conditioning of that process, and yet in each moment that I think of it and choose differently, it has an impact. And there's a much more powerful, far-reaching impact when I choose positive thoughts, positive emotional states to generate, gratitude, compassion, affection, appreciation, Lesson or, or the um, essay number 110 is titled Your Inherent Beauty. And the essay reads The flower does not try to be beautiful. You do not have to either. The sunset does not strive to be red. Neither do you have to strive to shine with your own light. That light may seem to be obscured for a while as you take your walk in the physical, but it isn't truly obscured because you shine simply because you are. Being does not require effort. Only striving to be what you are Let me read that more clearly. Only striving to be what you are not is what requires effort. You do not have to squeeze yourself to produce love. It is what you are. It flows from you as you just be who you are, what you are. You are ravishingly beautiful. You are an awe-inspiring expression of the divine fire that gives rise to all things. The wondrousness of your being cannot be lost. The diamond can be no less precious if it is covered in mud. So please know this. Let go of all that you are not and shine. This is why people like Sandy Wilder with the Educare Unlearning Institute in Grafton, Illinois, do the work they do. Unlearning is clearing off the mud, wiping the windshield clean, removing the bushel baskets, getting rid of the false negative beliefs about yourself. And every false belief, every negative belief is false. So the Educare Unlearning Foundation, in the essay in the podcast that we did, that published on Wednesday this week, available at um, journeystream.org slash podcast or theonyourmindpodcast.org. You'll hear this gentleman talk about how learning to listen to to himself, to nature, to animals, to other people is helping him remove everything that's less than love. It's helping him clear the mud off of the diamond. It's helping him shine his true self, the light of his true self. And when you do that for yourself, it benefits everyone. It changes the world. 
this is this is what the way of mastery was telling us in lesson four and the thing I read yesterday or the day before. When somebody asks you who you are, tell them I am the extension of the creative energy in form. I'm an extension of God's love in form. I've never been born, I'll never taste death. I'm infinite and eternal. I shine forth as a sunbeam shines from the sun. I'm the effect of God's love and I stand before you to extend that loving energy to you to help you see your true nature as that same energy. Essay 111 is titled Fear as a Sign of Potential Expansion. And the essay reads, Fear is a reflection of the space in experience space. Now, in quotes, experience space, close quotes. Fear is a reflection of the space in this thing we call experience of space, the physical realm, that beingness, your essence, expands into. Fear reflects a distance, in quotes, distance, close quotes, that has not yet been experientially integrated. So the truth of life is all there is is life and and creative energy expanding. So fear is the use of that creative energy to create a different kind of an experience, a contraction rather than expansion. And the thoughts and the reactions that I generate when I try to pretend that I'm not infinite and eternal, that I'm not part of the flow of life, is this experience of contraction, and that happens inside this experience of having time and space. And all that needs to happen for the fear to be dissolved is for me to integrate it and understand that it's false. Some people like to use the acronym for fear, F-E-A-R, false evidence appearing real. This essay goes on and says, fear is a sign that, quote, that which is, close quotes, the truth of life is engaged in something, namely a form of perception. It's engaged in a form of perception that challenges it and is giving it room within itself to expand into This is the idea of turning and facing your fears and seeing them, shining the light of your awareness directly on your fears and everything you're using to generate your fears. And when that happens, the fear loses its power. It gets integrated. It gets dismantled. The essay goes on and says, in part, our physical reality is what happens when unharmable consciousness, when infinitely safe, expansive consciousness decides to create a challenge simply for the purposes of actual experiential growth. Fear is not something that was created. It is simply what happens when existing consciousness engages a new constraint set that has not yet it consciousness has not yet optimally developed the ability to handle 
and it buys into perspectives that are simply not in alignment with its true nature. Your true nature is that you can't be hurt. Your true nature is that you are bigger than everything you encounter and everyone you encounter. Your true nature is that everything you encounter and everyone you encounter is a part of you and contained within your consciousness. When you're in that awareness, fear is not a possibility. When you constrict and contract your awareness down to believe there are people and things that are bigger than you, and or that people and things that are happening are either going to take from you things you need or prevent you from acquiring things you need, that's when you generate the energy of fear. And the energy of fear is simply a special use of the creative mind energy to begin to experience something that's not real. The way it says it here is fear is not something that was created. It is simply what happens when existing consciousness engages a new constraint set when that existing consciousness is not optimally developed to handle that constraint set. So that consciousness buys into perspectives that are not real, not in alignment with that consciousness's true nature. Fear is only possible when the spirit is engaged in challenge, which means it is working with a yet unintegrated experience. That is, fear is only possible when the spirit is engaging sense data or form data that it does not yet recognize for what it truly is. What is it? It's just energy arising within consciousness itself. Or fear is when spirit is buying into a belief that is not in alignment with capital T truth. It's not real. It's false. Fear is a growing pain that happens when, quote, that which already is, close quotes, engages in a real process of perspective integration to expand and become even more. In that sense, fear ultimately serves love's purpose of joy and expansion. Ultimately, there is nothing to fear at all. Fear is completely subservient to the greater and perfectly enduring truth of love, the creative energy, all that is. When the game of growth and expansion is won or departed, there can be no fear. Fear is an illusion. Fear is an artifact of perceived distance from true love and unity. And in actuality, no distance from true love and unity can ever occur. So fear is not native to the soul. Our native being is one of total power, total freedom, and total love. And in the brightness of that light, every shadow of fear is completely dissolved. Again, we create fear when we buy into false beliefs. Two of them that Guy Finley talks about are, number one, the false belief that whoever or whatever you're encountering in this moment, either directly in front of you or in your thoughts about them, 
the false belief is that they are bigger than you. That's the first false belief. The second false belief is that they have something you absolutely need and they're going to prevent you from getting it, or you have something you need and they're bigger than you and they're going to try and take it from you. If you don't believe those two things, you can't generate fear, in Guy Finley's words. It's almost exactly what they're saying here. Your true nature is that you are part of life, part of consciousness that is infinite and eternal, can never be wounded. We're not talking about your thoughts about yourself and your body and your personality and your checkbook. We're talking about your essence as consciousness. It's total, it's whole and complete, just as it is. Nothing of value can be added unto it. Nothing of value can be taken from it. It's completely safe in every moment. And when you're sitting in that observation, direct observation about the truth of your life, there can be no fear. When you create a thought pattern and buy into it that says, you need certain things to be happy or you need certain things to reach enlightenment or you need to survive physically, etc. Then, when that doesn't happen just the way your thoughts say it should, that's in that space is where you create an experience of fear. And it's always based on these false beliefs that you've bought into or bought into. So, 563-999-3581, either right now or any time when I'm reading, please feel free to call that number and press 1 on your phone to ask a question, ask for clarification, make a comment, etc. Essay number 112 reads, titled, Are We Growing? Or are we whole? W-H-O-L-E. The essay reads, Some say that we are here in the physical to learn and grow, and others say that we are already complete and whole. Well, which one is it? The essay goes on and says, Both are true and there is no contradiction. Our true being is always whole and complete. Even as our completeness and wholeness is maintained, we choose to express our incredibly creative nature by participating in reality systems like our own. As we integrate specific experience, we grow in our capacity to know and actualize our true being. By adopting unique and well-defined perspectives, for instance, the human perspective that feels so separate from everyone else, it allows for a great deal of experiential growth. The only way to adopt the highly specialized human perspective is to forget all of what we really are. If we remembered all of what we really are, we would constantly know that there is nothing ever to fear. But the capacity for challenge 
is commensurate with the opportunity for experiential growth. It is precisely this apparent distance from our true nature that is the frontier of new perspective creation. What we love to see I'll start that sentence again. We love to see what we can do with that highly specialized perspective. We rejoice at the opportunity to see how well we can express love even through the challenging constraints of the human experience, even through forgetting. While we are already whole, that which is already whole increases as we grow experientially towards love. The possibilities grow when consciousness, life itself, deeply engages in and integrates specific experiences, including the experience of being incomplete, or being fearful, or being enraged. When in truth, at an ultimate level, there's nothing to fear and nothing to be upset about and nothing to be angry about and nothing to be confused about because it's all arising within the essence of your true nature. In the way of mastery, he talks about how this, this very same thing, that you keep diving deeper and deeper into the consciousness, awareness of the consciousness of creation. You keep asking to be shown at deeper and deeper levels. How you're already one with the Creator. And as the creation and the Creator are constantly expanding, you're constantly expanding, and so you will never be done learning about yourself and about consciousness and about how you can choose for love and loving thoughts and emotions in ever-increasing, more challenging, what we would call more negative, disruptive, or abusive situations. All of these have been created as an experiential, quote, game, close quotes, within the existence of consciousness itself. Abraham Hicks is fond of saying, that you who are here in a physical body are on the cutting edge of creation. And in this essay, it says it's precisely this creation of an apparent distance from our own true nature, which is the frontier of new perspective and the creation of new perspective. It's the same teaching. These great teachings are all saying the same thing. Slightly different words, slightly different visual images, and yet they're all pointing to the fact that every moment of the day, if you chose to, you could choose for love. And in that same moment, you can choose for fear, you can choose for anger, you can choose for grief, and you can choose for sadness. You can create a whole set of beliefs about how you know, the, the more you wail and gnash your teeth and feel the pain of loss and grief, the more that means you love the person. You can do that if you wish. Just 
it's also useful to understand that there's all kinds of people who have loved very deeply and they don't go through that. They haven't made the connection in their head that says, in order to demonstrate how much I love somebody, I have to put myself through pain and suffering when they have physically left or when they distance from me or they don't want to be married to me anymore or whatever it is. And that is not necessarily an indication of how much I I actually felt connected to them, appreciated them, felt gratitude for them, cherished them, extended my true nature to them or helped them see their true nature. Those things are not intimately connected, except in in the mind of the person who's been taught and trained to think they have to go through pain or fear or sadness when they no longer have someone around. Otherwise, they didn't really love the person. There is the loss, This is and loss is a real thing. It's a part of our lives. At the same time there is no loss, loss is a part of our lives in the physical realm. This is, this is why it's saying, you know, what's true? Is it true that we're whole and complete or that we're growing? If we're growing, can we be whole? If we're whole, can we be growing? Both are true, and there's no contradiction. Now, it doesn't make any sense to us who are simply physical in this realm when we're using just the input of our senses or we're using just the division, the divisionary or separatist language that we've been taught when we're using just the conscious logical mind and what it can put together from the evidence of the five senses, that doesn't make any sense at all. But when you understand that you are not limited to just your physical senses, that the energies of compassion and gratitude and love that you experience go beyond what words can describe that there's more going on here than just this physical realm then you open up to the possibility that you're both growing and you're whole and complete just as you are you open up to the fact that you can love someone very deeply and go through what we would call a loss or a separation and not put yourself through wailing and gnashing of teeth, grief, and years of upset. Yes, there is the loss of the fantasy. There is the loss of the projection you had into the future and your plans, and there's there's this loss of this persona that you were creating about you and this other person and this identity that you've been clinging to and attaching to and that creates a disruption in thought and that can create changes in physical sensation that we call emotions and yet one one's level of grief over the loss of a friend or loved one does not indicate how much that person loved the other person or had great affection for or great respect for or feelings of cherishing the other person it doesn't it isn't a, me- a measure of how much you valued the other person 
I know that we create that in our thought, and lots of us are taught that. And yet the fact of the matter is, I can tell you, after having done therapy for people, with people for 49 years, you know, I'm well into my 50th year now, I can tell you that I have watched people put themselves through horrific grief over things and people that they treated horribly when they had them in their presence. There are a couple of people in my caseload right now because of whatever level of disruption and alcohol abuse and physical and verbal abuse that's going on in the relationship. And then one partner says, that's it, I'm done. I want a divorce or I want a separation. And the other partner is now horribly grief-stricken. Oh, I can't live without you. I need you back. Anything I can do to say that... There's no actual cherishing and love going on in the relationship and as soon as the person says okay i think i've lost this now i'm going to generate this pain and fear and sadness and tremendous grief i don't expect you to believe this i'm offering it as something you can look for within yourself you can observe for yourself it is entirely possible to recognize that there's a lot more going on here than just the physical and that uh, some of these wonderful phrases from poets and philosophers over the years that have said things like if you love something let it go that it is more a sign of respect and cherishing and honoring someone to bless them on their own path than it is to cling to them and say they have to stay with you and live in a way that you think is going to make you happy or that you think you need them to do in order for you to have happiness. That's not what everyone would say is love or loving or cherishing or respecting. It is the product of a mindset that says, I'm not whole and complete unless I have this person in my life or unless they do what I want them to do. And I can generate all kinds of grief when I experience the ending of a relationship, the death of someone, someone moving away, someone choosing to leave the relationship with me. I can generate a tremendous amount of negative emotions around that independent of how much I was actually able to see their true nature as love and see my true nature as love and extend that loving energy to them, independent of how much I actually cherished them when I was with them and treated them with loving care and respect, I can still generate a tremendous amount of grief. It's also possible that I can be treating someone with the utmost affection and respect and honoring them through my behavior. And when they choose to leave, I can be loving and respectful through that process as well. I have a lecture about that that I offer to people, the recording of a lecture I did back in uh, 2014, 2015. 
is available on mindshiftersacademy.org. It's under the title of Process for Grief and Loss. And it's a process that helps us, if we choose to engage it, unravel how we are creating our upset and how most of this pain and fear and sadness is amplified because we're afraid to turn and look at it. But the more we turn and look at it, the more we catalog the relationships, the memories in the relationship, the more we allow ourselves to go through the emotions that we'll have, keep the energy moving, keep the breath moving, the more we come to see, oh, now if I'm not running from what I think I'm going to feel is pain and fear and sadness, I have ready access in the library of my mind to all of these wonderful memories of my life with this person. And it's only if I look back on those memories and I say, oh, this is a reminder of all that I've lost, that I generate the upset. But if I look back on it and say, oh, this is a reminder of the wonderful times and the great value and the richness that that was in my life because of this, I'm just filled with the positive energy. I've seen it for myself. I've seen it with hundreds of people I've worked with over the years. I offer that as a free resource. There's also a PDF file you can download, which is just a suggestion of categories that you might review, statements you might make, and then use them to help you review your life experiences within that relationship so that you can catalog them as this was loving, this was uh, a good life lesson, this was a major challenge, This was it was easy for me to have this person in my life because of this, it was difficult to have them in my life because of that. I really learned how to expand my sense of humor by dealing with this person. I, I really learned patience in dealing with this person. I learned patience in dealing with this other person because I had to work so hard to have patience with them because I found what they were doing to be so irritating. I have increased the patience in my life from relating to this person because they are the most patient person I've ever known and I learned by modeling their being patient. When I review those things in a relationship and I let myself keep the breath moving as I do those reviews and experience those emotions, the value, the benefit to me of being able to incorporate those life experiences and life lessons and not have to be afraid of the pain or fear or sadness I'll feel when I recognize and admit and accept the truth that that relationship is not functioning in my life that way today. And even if it starts up again, it won't be the same There'll be differences, and I can let it be what it is in the moment without trying to force it back into this model that I have for what I think it should be or what it was. It is possible for you to be whole and complete and growing and have people move in and out of your life and have relationships come and go because as you learn about what your true essence is and their true essence, you, you are not so attached to all of this physicality. You embrace the physicality. You enjoy it. We're not talking about living an austere life and foregoing sex or sexual pleasures or tasty food or 
we're not talking about you know refusing to listen to music and not dancing we're not talking about becoming some monk in a cave we're talking about experiencing life more fully and richly without the mistaken belief that that's all there is and that's your true nature and you've got to keep this high level of physical stimulation at just this level in just this way in order for you to be happy. That's the error in thought. The last essay I'll read since no one has a hand up is Lesson 113. It's titled The Playground and the Classroom. The essay reads, Our experience here is born in the spirit of play. Our true nature is one that is completely free, unlimited, creative, and powerful. As a sidebar, the way of mastery says, please, do not let seriousness enter the mind. This life that you're given is meant to be enjoyed and played with fun, joy, aliveness, play, creativity, expansion. Again, this essay reads, Our experience here is born in the spirit of play. Our true nature is one that is completely free. It's unlimited, creative, and powerful. It is from that true state that we decide to ultimately express ourselves here in the physical experience. And yet, here on Earth, we often go through experiences that seem far from playful. We're engaged by what seem to be, quote, hard restraints, close quotes, or, quote, hard rules, close quotes, of our world. A knife will always cut resources will always be finite and the body will always die indeed there is profound growth opportunity available to the spirit when it is quote forced close quotes apparently forced in parentheses it says it's not really forced it just appears to be forced when the body when the spirit is faced forced to face these hard constraints there's tremendous growth available when the spirit is seemingly forced to face these hard constraints because such experiences help us experientially learn. We learn how to deal with circumstances. We learn how to make choices. We learn how to be more of who we truly are. We learn how to extend love in more and more challenging circumstances even through and beyond our local reality, there are spiritual laws in place that help guide us through the growth that is beneficial for us. And sometimes that process can be extremely painful. So, is life more a playground or a classroom? Well, the following two statements are both true and they do not conflict. Nothing is required of us. Rule number one. The universe is born out of a desire to play, to exercise our great creative natures in a unique way 
just for the sake of doing so. Rule or statement number two. There is meaning and value in integrating challenging experiences by adding to creation. Sometimes the, quote, spiritual laws, close quotes, in place at any given time, end up guiding us through what seem to be very difficult experiences for the sake of our growth. The classroom is in the playground. Even when you are in class, you can choose to play. No matter what circumstance you find yourself in, your true nature remains unharmed, shining, and joyful. And when you can fully let go of the burden that you've assigned to your assignment and you get in touch with and express that ever-abiding nature of love and light and expansion and creativity, often when you do that, the lesson is ended and you can now be full of even more joy than you were before you playfully went to class in the first place. Is this a playground or a classroom? The classroom is in the playground. Let not seriousness enter the mind. Do this experience of life with as much joy and aliveness and frivolity as you can. Shift the focus of your conscious awareness away from the kaleidoscopic wheel of negative intentions and choose an intention, an interpretation of life based on love and appreciation and gratitude and grace and joy every moment that you can remember to do so. You have the infinite capacity to choose the focus of your conscious awareness in each new present moment, and it is the focus of your conscious awareness in each new present moment that actually creates your experience of life and nothing else. So the invitation with this work is to question this for yourself, Wake up to all of the different situations you find yourself in and play with, experiment with one interpretation after another and watch how when you throw a different interpretation on your current life situation, it, it changes how you experience it. I've, I've had you know, a number of examples in my sessions this morning alone where people have had that direct experience of being all wrought up, all constrained in anger and frustration and overwhelm. And then, for whatever reason, they were able to shift their interpretation of their life situations, of their level of performance, of their evaluation of themselves or others, and go from tears to smiles or to go from anger and frustration to tears of joy and appreciation. It's literally happened more than once in my sessions already today. It happens on a regular basis. I had a woman in my office yesterday. She has this 
list of things that she wants to be able to do better or differently. She wants to be able to stand up for herself. She wants to be able to face conflict and confrontation. She wants to be able to um, be more visible rather than, you know, turn invisible and, and hide. And there were several other things on the list. And when she started the session yesterday, she believed that whenever she did these things, shy away from conflict or confrontation, refused to stand up for herself, etc., that it was a problem, that it was a bad thing. And she did a piece of experiential work in the session, and before the session was over, she was able to see how, oh, this is a really good thing that she's choosing to do this stuff because it's helping her avoid this other worst thing. What what might be worse than that? Well, every, every one of us is going to have different things, right? Let's say that my father was selfish and loud and bombastic and overbearing, and I hated it. And I made up a, a pledge to myself when I was younger that I would never be like him. Later on, I grow up and I find that, you know what, I have trouble saying no to people. I have trouble standing up for myself. I'm I'm always acquiescing to others and fawning for them and putting their needs first. And then I go to a therapist saying, you know, you got to help me because I got to learn to stand up for myself and speak up for myself and face conflict and and you know and be self-wise. And then we do some experiential work and we find out, oh wait a minute. I'm choosing those behaviors because my deeply held belief is that if I don't, I'm going to turn out to be just like my dad. And I would rather literally die than be like my dad. And now all of a sudden, with that shift of interpretation and perspective, I'm no longer viewing myself as being in error when I acquiesce or I fawn. And until I find a way to build a life pattern that's useful and productive without thinking I'm turning into my dad, I'll be accepting of those qualities of myself simply because of a change in interpretation. So that's our show for today. Thanks for being here. It's greatly appreciated, all of you that are joining us. I'll remind us all that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love, and everything else is false. Hope you all have a wonderful weekend. I will turn on the microphone for and welcome Jeannie Rice. Thank you, Dr. Tim. I appreciate that. I hope you have a good weekend as well. Have a great show and a wonderful weekend. Thank you. You too. So welcome, everybody, to the second hour of Mindshifters Radio. And today is Friday, June the 16th. 2023. And our calling number is 563-999-3581. And press 1. And that puts you into queue to talk to us. And we'd love to hear your comments and questions because that makes this your show. Excuse me. I had to mute there so I could cough. <laughs> so, um, 
while we're waiting on Michael to dial in, I'll just say that, you know, there's been a few changes. And under the Global Book Club, of course, they're doing, um, Michael is co-facilitating with Yinka on the second and fourth Thursday of every month. And then they're doing the Course of Miracles. She has something else scheduled the first Thursday of each month. So then they're going to do a Course of Miracles on the third and fifth Thursday of each month. So the next one... um, When there is a fifth Thursday. Right. And I think there are until we're just uh, committing to the next three months and then we'll... or three sessions of the Course in Miracles and we'll see um, how we go from there. It'll be live after that. You want to explain that, Michael, how we're doing it? Yeah, what we did, we've done one session of the Course in Miracles and uh, we've got four videos in our DVD catalog or streaming catalog that people can buy on our website. And so we just uh, decided to go ahead and and let those loose and let them uh, be used for this uh, Hear My Voice book club out of London, England. So you'll be able to hear four of the videos that are uh, course-related that normally are, you know, things you have to buy in order to hear them. And uh, so they'll be available in our archives. Once that's complete, we always uh, make that available. So you all have access to those. And uh, then we'll do a Q&A session. The last session was last week, or I guess it's two weeks ago now. In any event, that session is available if you want to check it out on our YouTube channel. So Introduction to Advanced Understanding of A Course in Miracles. And the next one, which will be the third Thursday of June, right? Of July. Um, no, you're doing the <laughs> the third and the fifth. So the next one will be June the 29th. Ah, so we'll get one in uh, this month still. Cool. So that'll be why does the right. world? Which you've heard me do right. uh, allude to that lesson, and uh, this is a pretty comprehensive covering of that lesson. So and then we'll do a Q and A. So welcome, everybody. Delighted that you're here. Honored. And appreciate the fact that we get to have this conversation with you, whether you talk to us or not, that we get to have it with you when we get to bring forward these amazing principles directly from A Course in Miracles, tying it in with the why work as well. They're really kind of indistinguishable. There are only two places on planet Earth that I have found the exact and specific methodology and definition for what forgiveness is and how to forgive. One of them is in the in the ancient Aramaic language, comes out of the Kaburis manuscript, which is a copy of the oldest known New Testament in its original Aramaic language. And of course the miracles. Identical, identical methodology for forgiveness, which is uh, for me complete verification since it's such a complex and illogical thing until you understand how the mind works. Forgiveness is totally illogical, a la first century Aramaic Yeshua. 
once you understand how the mind works, once you've got that technology down pat, it is absolutely brilliant in terms of its effect on our mental state, our emotional state, as well as our physiology. And so that's the uh, the path we're traveling with the course, and uh, we'll be doing that with the Hear My Voice Book Club as well as the second and fourth Thursday of each month. We do a chapter in the book. Why is this happening to me? I think we're heading into chapter six with the next one. So delighted that you're here with us. And I'm not sure she's at a place where she can talk, but we were going to share um, what Yorate's facing, but Yorate, if you're where you can talk, um, if you would like to share it yourself, I've just turned your microphone on. Welcome. Hello. Hello, Yorate. How are you, young lady? I'm doing pretty good. Depends on the day, depends on the hour, but we're all doing good. Yeah, you're definitely going through a lot. Yeah, I'm trying my best just to stay connected to love and not to allow the fear to move me in a different direction. And trust that whatever came our way to experience is part of what I agree here to do. So there's sometimes it still shows up, you know, and in the most innocent ways, you know, like it feels like I was making this one appointment for my son and I mean, um, I was talking to a receptionist and uh, like to thank his name and the birthday and as soon as he asked me the diagnosis and I said his diagnosis loud I just couldn't talk anymore like my throat was you know all constricted and the tears were flowing and I I was just like breathing and she's like are you okay I said I am okay and at the same time I said I am very emotional about this <laughs> So, Certainly yeah. understandable. So, yeah. It was good that today he is, he is feeling better today. Um, so that was definitely a big relief to see him a little bit having a pause of the pain. It was, I've learned how hard it is to be next to someone that is in pain that, you know, I can't do much about it and to be with them and Ryan. keep guiding them to breathe and, and you know, kind of questioning myself, is that breathing really going to work, <laughs> you know, because when I see that it's like so much pain and I was like, well, and understanding that any pain is a constriction and the stuck energy, you know, and so... So I want to say thank you, everyone, for holding space. I appreciate that. Yeah, and uh, your voice is a little difficult to uh, hear you, Rocky, with the background noise. But for people who may not have uh, have heard, Yorate's son, who's 25, I believe you said. His name is Tomas, and 24, and uh, he was diagnosed recently with cancer. And he's got quite a bit of pain and is 
working through that pretty bravely. And uh, so know that you're out there for you and Tom and the whole family, and especially for Damas, the, uh We're here just extending love in your direction, holding the space. Did we lose her, Jeannie? I muted her. I've just turned her microphone back on. Okay. I muted her so the road yeah. noise wouldn't overpower sure. what you were saying there, too. So you're back yeah, on your right. Thank you. Um, I, I had this conflict inside, you know, like, do I want to share this? Do I don't want to share? You know, is that adding to the energy? But from my experience with the sharing it, I felt asking people to hold this space for healing and just really help and help him, like, even in the physical, you know, how he felt. It was just amazing, like, me sharing that on, you know, on the radio show or sharing on the Facebook and Instagram accounts, you know, how much support it was flowing his direction, and I could see how his pain was affected by that. It was, it was less pain, you know, so it was just really neat. Right. Like to understand yes, how we are all interconnected and how, you know, there is no, no far distance, you know, it doesn't matter how far or how close you are. Well, one of my favorite quotes from Albert Einstein is the one where he says, if you think you're separate or separated from the rest of humanity, you're living in an optical delusion. Our minds show us something that isn't true. And the truth is we are all connected, and therefore whatever energy we extend to another, we, one, give or inflict, depending what the energy is on ourselves, and on them as well. And, of course, if they're not in resonance with it, then, you know, if it's something that someone wants to inflict on another, there's nowhere for it to land if there's none of that energy within that other individual. And otherwise, just the presence of love is is the master healer. So we're, you've, And you've got a whole community of people here that are right now sending that love in your direction and in Damas's direction, uh, consciously, purposely, knowing the healing power of that presence. And Damas has been sending that Joining you in holding that space as powerfully as we can. Is there anything else for you to share today or any other way we can support you? Alright, well, we cherish you. Appreciate you. 
All right. Take care. Bye-bye. Um, let's see if we have any questions from the last couple of days of doing the emotional relief. Press one if you have a question. And then if there are no questions, I'll go into reading. But And if you're out there in listener land, our call-in number, if you're on one of those stations where we can't see you in our control panel, our call-in number is 563-999-3581. If you call that number, you'll be listening to the show directly. And then if you have a question, push 1, and through the magic of technology, Gene will see your hand go up and know you want to chat with us, and we'll be having a conversation. So 563-999-3581, push 1. Let's talk about it. What's on your mind? So do you have any email or questions no. for today, Jeannie? Um, no, I do not. We answered uh, Sarah's yesterday about um, why she was unsuccessful with the release. And, I, you know, I'm saying that I have experienced myself as well as seen other people experience that as when they first do the release, you know, there might be some small thing like, you know, a little tingling or or just that the picture of the person that they were going to release disappears or something like that. But then it could be not until the next event that would normally trigger around that person, and it happens and there's like no emotional trigger. It's just an event. And so it's like, oh, okay, the release must have worked. (laughs) Releasing emotional attachments, that's it exactly. Right. So if there's no hand up, I didn't read, uh, I think I've missed two days reading, but uh, just because the other was was more important at the moment to uh, continue talking about the uh, emotional release. So what we talked about, the la- what I read the last time, it's out of the uh, fifth chapter, or the sixth chapter, and it's uh, Michael Singer's book, The Untethered Soul. And this one's called The Secrets of the Spiritual Heart. And one of the examples at the end of the last reading that I did was uh, talking about, you know, you're driving down the road and, and you see all these cars and, and they're in and out of your consciousness uh, with no emotional impact or anything until you see a light blue. The example they gave was a light blue Ford Mustang, which was just like his girlfriend's car. And noticed that there were two people hugging in the front seat. At least they looked like they were hugging, and it sure looked like her car. But it was just a car, just like all the other cars, except it wasn't like all the other cars to you. And that's where we stopped. So let's look carefully at what happened. Surely for the camera of the eyes, there's no difference between that car and the other cars. There's light bouncing off of objects, passing through your retina, making a visual impression on your mind. So at the physical level, nothing different is going on. But at the mental level, the impression didn't make it through. When the next moment comes, 
You no longer notice the rest of the trees. You're not seeing the rest of the cars. Your heart and mind are fixated on that one car, even though now it's gone. You've got yourself a problem here. There's a blockage, an event that got stuck. All the subsequent experiences are trying to pass through you, but something has happened inside that has left this past experience unfinished. What happens to that experience that didn't make it through? Specifically, what happens to the image of girlfriend's car if it doesn't just fade away into deep memory like everything else? At some point, you'll have to stop focusing on it in order to deal with something else, like the next stoplight. What you don't realize is that your entire experience of life is about to change because of what didn't make it through you. Life must now compete with this blocked event for your attention. And the impression does not just sit in there quietly. You will see that your tendency is to think about it constantly. This is all in an attempt to find a way to process it through your mind. You didn't need to process the trees, but you need to process them. Because you resisted, it got stuck. And now you have a problem. You see the thoughts start up. Well, maybe it wasn't her. Of course it wasn't her. How could that possibly have been her? Thought after thought goes on inside. It drives you crazy in there. All that inner noise is just your attempt to process the blocked energy and get it out of the way. Long term, the energy patterns that can't make it through, can't make it through you, are pushed out of the forefront of the mind and held until you are prepared to release them. These energy patterns, which hold tremendous detail about the events associated with them, are real. They don't just disappear. When you're able to allow life events to pass through you, they stay inside and become a problem. When you are unable to allow life events to pass through you, they stay inside and become a problem. These patterns may be held within you for a very long time. It's not easy to keep energy together in one place for long. As you willfully struggle to keep these events from passing through your consciousness, the energy first tries to release by manifesting through the mind. This is why the mind becomes so active. When the energy can't make it through the mind because of conflicts with other thoughts and mental concepts, it then tries to release through the heart. And they're talking about the spiritual heart. That is what creates all the emotional activity. When you resist even that release, the energy gets packed up and forced into deep storage within the heart. In the yoga tradition, or yogic tradition, that unfinished energy pattern is called samskara. This is a Sanskrit word meaning impression. And in the yogic teachings, it is considered one of the most important influences affecting your life. A samskara is a blockage, an impression from the past. It's an unfinished energy pattern that ends up running your life. In order to understand this, let's first... Uh-huh. Just hearing the way that he's describing that, that would be the identical concept 
to the word sin from the Aramaic, the archery term, that when you fired at the target and missed the bullseye, the scorekeeper would yell sin. You're off the mark, an energy that doesn't belong in the system that someone's unable, unwilling to experience from a place of or from a perspective of love and therefore be able to process through it. There's a perfect parallel there with the Aramaic, at least for me. I can see that. So in order to understand this, let's first take an in-depth look at the physics behind these blocked energy patterns. Just like energy waves, the energy that comes into you must moving. But that doesn't mean it can't get blocked within you. There is a way that the energy can both keep moving and stay in one place, and that is to circle around itself. We see this in atoms and in planetary orbits. Everything is energy, and energy will just expand out if it's not contained. For there to be manifest creation, energy must get in the dynamic of cycling around itself to create a stable unit. That's why energy manifesting as an atom forms the basic building block of this entire physical universe. Energy cycles around itself, as, and as we've discovered, atoms have enough harnessed energy to blow up the world when the energy is released. But unless forced otherwise, the energy will stay harnessed because of its equilibrium state. This process of cycling energy is exactly what happens with a samskara. A samskara is a cycle of stored past energy patterns. In a state of relative equilibrium, it is your resistance to experiencing these patterns that causes the energy to keep cycling around itself. There is no other place for it to go. You won't let it. That is how most people process their issues. This packet of cycling energy is literally stored in your energetic heart center. All the samskaras you have collected over your life are stored there. To fully appreciate what this means, let's go back to the example of the light blue Mustang that looked like your girlfriend's car. Once the disturbed energy patterns are packaged and stored in the heart, they are basically inactive. It may look to you like you have handled the situation and that you have no more issues with that experience. You may not even mention the event to your girlfriend because it would look like you were jealous. You didn't know what to do, so you resisted the energy and it got stored in the heart where it could fall into the background and not be bothersome. While it may seem like it's done, like it's all over and gone, it really isn't. Every one of the samskaras that you've stored is still there. Everything that you did that did not make it through you from the time you were a baby all the way to this moment is still inside of you. It's these impressions, these samskaras, that encrust the value of the spiritual heart. The encrustation builds up and restricts the energy flow. Would you like me to stop there? Well, just to, I actually, I'm, I'm enjoying what you're reading, but I'd like to throw in a thought or two. And 
you know, one of the, the thoughts and why is this happening to me again that we put out is that the way you acquire a past about something is to hold your breath around it. And if you think about the same scars as he's describing them or the sins in your life, the things, again, the word not being the Greek idea of something, whatever people have believed about sin, but it just being this archery term that means off the mark, you'll notice that when those energies try to move, the tendency is to hold the breath. And then, in holding the breath, resist feeling or experiencing it. And this is how one acquires a past about something, and it's about, it, it's how one creates an unnatural condition called an unconscious mind. And then, what happens, because we won't allow ourselves to directly experience that energy out of the space of love that we are, is that energy will acquire a certain amount of force, a certain amount of impetus, until it blasts through to the surface, but it will blast through to the surface, distorted and massaged, to look like somebody or something else. It will tend to blast through and be massaged into, you know, an, an old energetic pattern or samskara or sin that somebody today resonates, what the average person does is they blame the person that they're focused on for what's moving within them, and they massage that samskara, that energetic pattern that's in the unconscious, into a picture that makes it look like that energy is about somebody outside of us. And there, you know, and, and it's interesting to hear him use the word resistance there, because in Aramaic, the words... Um, Satan does not mean the Greek dude with the rib suit, the tail, and the pitchfork. The word Satan means the resistor, one who misleads. When we have something that we refuse to allow conscious admittance to, we refuse to allow it to come to conscious awareness in the presence of love, then projection happens. We turn it into something that it is not. So now when a person is, you know, let's say someone's visibly disturbed, holding their breath, and you say, gee, what's happening for you? And they'll, if you feed back to them, gee, you know, I, I, I've noticed you've done this many times in your life. I've been watching you for a long time. And they'll go, no, 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 you don't understand. This isn't about me. There's the resistance. And then the mislead. This is about Bill over there. It's his fault that I'm feeling this. You saw what he did to me, didn't you? And somebody has a whole reality that is a reflection of the unconscious dynamic that was acquired at some time in the past. And this is what leads people into the proverbial why is this happening to me again experience. So the breath is a key element. I don't know whether he's going to get into that, but let's go ahead and read and see if he does. All right. Um, now that we understand where the blockages within the heart come from, we have answered the structural question of how the heart gets blocked. You can certainly see the potential for impressions to build up to the point where very little energy can make it through. If they build up sufficiently, you will find yourself in a state of depression. In that state, all becomes dark. This is because very little energy is coming into your heart or mind. 
Eventually, everything appears negative because the world of the senses must pass through this depressed energy before it gets to your consciousness. But even if you aren't prone to depression, your heart still gets blocked over time. It just builds up. It doesn't always stay blocked, however. Depending upon life's experiences, it can open and close quite frequently. This leads us to our next question. What is the cause of these frequent changes in the state of the heart? If you watch carefully, you'll see it is related to the same stored past impressions that cause the blockages. The stored energy patterns are real. A samskara is actually programmed with the specific details of the event that could not pass through. If you experience jealousy because you thought you saw your girlfriend hugging someone in a car, very detailed data about that event is stored in the samskara. It has that event's vibration. It has that event. And it even retains your level of sensitivity about the event. That's kind of like you talk about um, uh, things being crystallized in, and that they hold the thought, the feeling, and, and even the drug that suppress them. Right, right. And you would hear, if, if Yeshua were listening to this writing right now, you would hear Yeshua saying, so now remember, folks, I told you, take care of the heart, for out of it are the issues in your life. Most everybody who, who you know, from the earliest ages became card-carrying members of the one world universal religion of blame, thinks, no, no, I don't need to take care of my heart, what's going on inside me, I need to take care of Bill over there. It's he that is the cause of my issues. And thus we project the dissociated content that which we were unwilling to have passed through us, unwilling to experience truthfully and honestly. And what the Aramaic forgiveness process does, the piece that Aramaic forgiveness gives, is it gives the specific methodology for collapsing the end result of this process of this samskara taking over the mind. This past issue formulating, being formulated into something that looks like it's caused by somebody else. And when you apply the process of forgiveness, you literally open the veil of the temple, the barrier between the subconscious and the unconscious. You enter into that unconscious space, or what's being referred to here as the heart, take care of what's there, because that's what formulates the perceptual constructs of the moment. And so most people are living in constructs of things, yes, resonated by the present moment, but things that were acquired oftentimes decades, perhaps centuries ago through our genetics. And so to recognize that everything the mind comes up with that's based in any form of hostility or fear is a fit subject for forgiveness. To reach in and remove those energetic patterns and become freed from them, freed from one's samskaras, or in the Aramaic, sin. Two seemingly different systems. But really, any, anything that has worked over an extended period of time to bring joy and aliveness and healing into people's lives has to work by the same principle. I don't care, Jeannie and I were having this conversation the other day, it doesn't matter whether it was the Buddha that said it, 
or whether it was Mohammed that said it, or whether it was Yeshua, or whether it was Abraham, or Isaac, it doesn't matter. There's only one operative principle in the universe when it comes to death, disease, and suffering, and when it comes to healing, aliveness, and joy. There's only one process. There's only one thing to talk about. Now, I, I love what, uh, let's see, what's his name? Uh, uh, Winston Churchill said we have the privilege of being separated, common language. We think because somebody uses a different word that they must be talking about something different. But there's only one set of principles that operate in the universe. And anything that's been around for an extended period of time, even if it's so culturally different from what we believe, it's as valid as what we're doing today because it's still here and it's working. If it's producing that state of life and aliveness and harmony between neighbors, family, and friends. So it's, uh, it's, it's interesting to hear, and that's, of course, Michael Singer's coming from an Eastern perspective and uh, certainly sounds different but is identical to the first century Aramaic language right on up to we could turn the language one more direction and speak it in Course in Miracles language. You know, I love what the Course says in, in the introduction. It talks about how this Course is a required Course. Only the time you take it is optional. And it's only one form of the Course. What tends to happen is people get egotistical, people who won't do their work, and they need to have the Supreme Leader. And so they name their Guru, whether it's Yeshua or, oh, nobody would use that word for Yeshua. Well, that's the way most people treat him. They don't follow what he says to do. They don't actually live the teaching, for instance, of forgiveness and honoring neighbors. That means they've got a guru. They're not living the teaching. The real teacher, as Yeshua presented, is inside of you, and that's the one that you really want to build and develop conscious relationship with and process through it. And then what you'll see is the principle behind the healing process appears in different forms in different cultures all over the world. And people are murdering each other because, well, your culture is different than mine. My God can beat up your God. I mean, it's all just old hostility, fear, and projection of the non-human mind, unresolved or Unresolved sin in the Aramaic sense, energies that are off the mark, samskaras in this ancient Eastern perspective. Time to clean it up. Go for it, sweetie. Okay. <clears throat> so to see this, let's watch what happens in the future. It's five years later. You're no longer with your old girlfriend. You've married someone else, and you're much more mature. One day you're out driving along with the family, having a wonderful time. The trees are going by, the cars are going by, and then a light blue Mustang drives by with two people hugging in the front seat. Immediately, something changes in your heart. Your heart actually skips a beat, and then it starts beating faster. You start getting moody, irritated, agitated. You aren't having a nice day anymore. All of these interchanges occur because your heart got disturbed when you saw one particular car. It is truly amazing to step back and look at this process. Five years ago, 
for just a few moments an event took place. You never discussed it with anybody, and now five years later, a light blue Mustang drives by, and it changes the energy flow through your heart and mind. And? That's unbelievable. Uh-huh. And you may not have even consciously seen the blue Mustang today when it happened. That may have gone by with no conscious awareness whatsoever, but because of the way the mind works in this law of resonance, if that old samskara, that old disintegrative energy was resonated into activity, gee, I don't, you know, why, you know, we were having fun just a little while ago. Why are you so miserable? I don't know. It can be totally, completely unconscious when things like that are stirred. And that's why, you know, one of the, one of the things we put forward all the time is step back from your own mind, become the thinker apart from the thought, the feeler apart from the feelings, the actor apart from the actions. And when something's moving, you, moving in you that is of an untoward quality of energy, allow yourself to be aware of it and do the work around it, even if it wasn't something that you're conscious of that triggered it into activity. It's so important because literally the energy processes, you know, when he speaks of the samskara, when the Aramaic speaks of sin, you know, you'll notice they say the wages of sin is death. What does that mean? If I put it this, that, like, I can remember being a kid and thinking, oh, God's, I'm being threatened by God. God's going to get me for my sins. I'm going to die as a result of it. And, and then when I grew up and got an adult mind and put away the things of a child, I realized that what he's saying is the result of putting a disintegrative energy anywhere in your tissue structure is your tissue structure starts to break down. If you get enough breakdown going on, you die. And it's literally physiologically true. What I'm not willing to process is the only thing that could ever create enough disturbance and dis-ease in the energy system called tissue that we see it becoming physical disease. And again, you know, these things go on generation after generation after generation after generation. And on occasion, and one of the reasons why it takes dedication to developing the ability to use the tools and the awareness is that when you start dealing with something that, you know, maybe happened five generations ago in your bloodline, to allow that to come forward in a way that is comprehensible for you and that you can deal with it takes practice, takes working with the tools over an extended period of time to develop the brain cells to be able to do the, the deeper, more important aspects of the inner work. Awesome. As unbelievable as it seems, it's true. And it's not only true about light blue Mustangs. It's true about everything that didn't make it through. No wonder we're so overwhelmed. No wonder the heart keeps opening and closing. The energy that's stored there is real. And it interacts with the flow of current thoughts and events. The dynamics of this interaction, vibrations that are stored as samskaras to get activated, sometimes years later. That is what happened with the light blue Mustang. Understand, however, it didn't even have to be the identical car to activate the stored energy. It could have been a black Mustang or any car with people hugging. 
Anything in the neighborhood has the potential to stimulate a samskara. The point is that past impressions do get stimulated, even old ones, and they affect your life. Sensory inputs from today's events dig through all the stuff that you've stored through the years, and they restore the exact past patterns associated with the incoming event. When a samskara is stimulated, it opens like a flower and begins to release the stored energy. Suddenly, flashes of what you experienced when the original event took place rush into your consciousness. The thoughts, the feelings, sometimes even the smells and other sensory inputs. The samskara can store a complete snapshot of the event, and it is way beyond any computer storage system created by human beings. It can archive everything you were feeling, everything you were thinking, everything that was happening surrounding the event. All this information is stored into a tiny energy bubble within your heart. Years later, it gets stimulated. Uh And... At the same time as, say, something from, you know, when the uh, the event happened with the Mustang was resonated into activity, the marriage that fell apart two generations ago is resonated into activity, and the death of a spouse that happened seven generations ago and was never resolved, became a samskara, is resonant interactivity. All of those things come into play, and they, anything of any similar patterned energy can be resonated into activity by anything in today's world. I remember there's a, a book written by a chiropractor. This goes back decades ago, and it was called Anything Can Cause Anything, Anything Can Cure Anything. And it came from an understanding of this law of resonance. And when we hold patterns of untoward energy, sin, samskaras, they are held in files, so to speak, or containers that hold any pattern similar to that that's been unresolved throughout our whole bloodline, throughout the generations. So that's why oftentimes it can become disproportionately intense because it's not just, oh, well, that little spat there was around the Mustang and the, you know, the hugging of somebody else. You know, that, that was just a minor little thing. But if it hooked into those other generational patterns that were unresolved, all of a sudden this just becomes a monstrous, explosive type of thing. And, and people don't, if they're not conscious, if they can't, recognize and be, if they're not acquainted with their own internal dynamics, then the mind shoots up this construct called perception. And, you know, to relate it to the show we did the other day with, with releasing the attachments, that all of the emotional attachments connected to that are what cause it to be such an explosion and to generate because of denial, because I, I say to myself, oh, well, I'm experiencing this because of that out there, I literally generate a symbol of my pain out of relative data to whatever I'm focused on out there. 
and you become the problem in my life. But what I'm projecting into that, the energetic patterns that are going into that reality structure and that trauma and pain could be, you know, 20 generations of unresolved trauma. And that's why ultimately one has to develop the skills to process through those layers and those levels. And as you develop the skills, you become more vital and more empowered to handle those deeper energy dynamics. Great writing, Michael. Referring to Michael Singer, whose book Genie's Reading, if you didn't catch that when we started. <laughs> right on track. All this information is stored into a tiny energy bubble within your heart. Years later, it gets stimulated and instantly you are experiencing the feelings you felt in the past. You can actually feel the fears and the insecurity of a five-year-old when you're 60. What is happening is that unfinished mental and emotional energy patterns are getting stored and reactivated. But it's just as important to... uh. (laughs) And we've developed cultures where authorities, having an understanding of this dynamic, purposely instill trauma into a child. It's called punishment. It's called vengeance. It's called rage. And when that's purposely put into a child, it adds energy to those dynamics, which seems to make the whole process of healing that much more difficult and that much more demanding. And it is. It, it really, you know, if, if you look in the ancient teachings, they said that you, you had to tithe. Now, a lot of people who are out there for a buck told you tithing had to do with giving them money. But the real tithe is putting your time, intelligence, yes, money to, and energy into your healing process that you take. At least set your life up so that 2.4 hours a day, 10% of a 24-hour day is dedicated toward your healing work, toward your inner work. Instead of everything being focused out there and what's the distractions of the world. You know, you go back as far as uh, the, uh, the Romans and they had the bread and circuses. They knew how to keep people distracted. And when you can keep people distracted, you can take advantage of them. And, you know, basically the king can steal just about everything from them. And as long as their bellies are full, usually with junk food, and you keep them entertained, keep the titillating emotional energy going, keep the war machine going, keep the, you know, the violent movies going, and don't teach people to process what those violent things bring up in them, and you can just keep them running from one samskara to another to another to another, totally and completely unconscious. But it is important to realize that most of what you take in does not get blocked. It makes it right through you. Imagine how many things you see all day. They're not all stored like that. All of these impressions, the only ones that get blocked are those that cause either problems or some extraordinary sense of enjoyment. Yes, you store positive impressions too. When a wonderful experience happens to you, it doesn't make it through because you cling to it. Clinging means I don't want this one to go away. 
He told me he loved me, and I felt so loved and protected. I want to keep reliving that moment. Play it back for me over and over again. Clinging creates positive samskaras, and when those are stimulated, they release positive energy. Hence, two kinds of experiences can occur that block the heart. You are either trying to push energies away because they bother you, or you're trying to keep energies close because you like them. In both cases, you're not letting them pass, and you are wasting precious energy by blocking the flow through resisting and clinging. It made me think, you can tell people you can do a worksheet on the positive as well as the negative. If you think anything outside of you makes you happy, it's the same as thinking something outside of you makes you sad. Exactly. And in each case, forgiveness is the solution because... If you're experiencing that samskara, as he's talking about them, from the past that were wonderful, and you keep trying to pull it forward to experience it now, you're dead to the present. You're not alive as a human being in this present moment, seeking something from the past or getting trapped in something painful from the past. Either way, it's a trap. And the the idea of this work is to become freed of any energetic pattern based in hostility or fear or in the desire for something from the past so that we're alive in the present moment and having a live present moment experience continuously. When we're distracted by bread and circuses and all the stuff of the world, it's just a replay of the past, not a conscious life being consciously lived. It goes on to say, the alternative is to enjoy life instead of clinging to it or pushing it away. If you can live like that, each moment will change you. If you are willing to experience the gift of life instead of fighting with it, you will be moved to the depth of your being. When you reach this state, you will begin to see the secrets of the heart. The heart is the place through which energy flows to sustain you. The energy inspires you and raises you. It is the strength that carries you through life. It is the beautiful experience of love that pours through your whole being. This is meant to be going on inside of you at all times. The highest state you have ever experienced is simply the result of how open you were. If you don't close, it can be like that all the time. Don't sell yourself short. This can go on all the time. Unending inspiration, unending love, unending openness. That is the natural state of a healthy heart. Eternal. And, you know, one of the markers for how we create what happens in our world is to watch our speech. And when one wants things to go on and on and on, if one still has some scars related to the past, then they'll do things like talk about unending. You know, you hear people who want to or, or have acquired the understanding that eternal life is possible, and they'll move into language because they haven't resolved death in them yet. They'll move into language about being immortal. You hear people talk, oh, I'm an immortalist. Well, thank you. I'm not an immortalist. I'm an eternalist, yes. But... Take a look at what you've been tricked into when you use the word immortal. What is it? I'm mortal. What is mortal? Death. 
I'm dead. <laughs> that's the trick of the mind when something is unresolved. That's why, again, always being conscious of language is a key because, as Yeshua said, the power of life and death is in our words. The frequencies of words are really key importance here. Cool. Well, that's a fun way to do that uh, that reading, Jean. Yeah, I'm enjoying it. Fits and I perfectly. Like the, the bringing it into what we teach and the parallels of it. Yeah, it opens another another perspective, another language, another perspective, and builds more brain cells. And we've got about eight minutes left, so let's just uh, check out the phone lines and see if there's anybody out there. Give our audience a chance. If there's anybody out there with a thought or question, anything happening we can support you with, any questions that this uh, reading and commentary have aroused for you, push one. And again, if you're on one of those stations where we can't see you in our control panel, call the number 563-999-3581. When you call that number, you're listening to the show directly. And then if you push one, that raises the hand in the control panel, and we'll be having a conversation. So what's on your mind? How can we support you? It's all quiet on this end. All quiet. Well, I'm feeling complete at this point. If nobody has a question or a thought for us, and I know we have a young lady in there that's chomping at the bit. Ari Rain is with us today, and we've got some things planned with her. So I'd rather continue the conversation if there's somebody out there with a thought for us. But if everybody's feeling complete, I am. How about you, Jeannie? Do you have any other thoughts to share? Um, no, I am complete. Well, then I'm going to thank everybody for joining us and invite you to create the best year yet of your eternal life. It's an awesome gift to give the world. Blessings. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Mind Shifters Radio with Dr. Michael Rice and myself, Jeannie Rice, and Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pache as we present the first century Aramaic internal process of forgiveness. We are here for two hours every Monday through Friday from 12 noon to 2 o'clock Eastern Time on Mind Shifters Radio. For more information on Aramaic forgiveness, please visit www.whyagain.org. That's www.whyagain.org.